0: welcome to the bad taste crime podcast i'm vicky and i'm Jadelle. we're back again with an episode this week that's sure to uh, do something to, to you to your senses <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs>
1: I don't want to be titillated. <laughs> um, right
0: now, maybe later, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, how are you, Janelle? I'm, I'm tired fun, of everything. <laughs> I know. You always catch it. I, because we record this on Sundays, it mm-hmm. is like the end of the week. Mm-hmm. You know, not that the beginning of the week is ever that much different, but like it is kind of like that end of the week drain. So by the time we get here, we're just like, I'm so tired.
1: <laughs> I definitely I call I call it my uh sad cowgirl Sundays where I'm just like Aww. Sad Cowgirl Sundays. <laughs> oh my god. I'm just I got all these things to do. Works tomorrow. Boo hoo. <laughs> oh my god.
0: Yeah. It's now that I'm like done with school and like just working. Mm-hmm. I feel like a weight has been lifted from my shoulders
1: not to rub it in or
0: anything yeah but. you know
1: it's, it's no big deal going to school have like eight jobs uh, somewhat of a social yeah. life being on a thousand committees <laughs> love it <laughs> love it so much I never sleep uh, well on that note <laughs> right I'm here for murder yeah take my mind off of we're, we're gonna head over
0: to the newsroom
1: fit to some local tells us
0: that today we had crimes, as to be. We bad, worse than bad. Our news this week comes from Chula Vista, California, mm-hmm. where a woman named Ashley Lynn Chavez was arrested and convicted for embezzling thousands of dollars from a previous employer. Good okay.
1: for her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she So her original guilty plea was in November 2019. Um, it was actually to a conspiracy charge. She admitted to embezzling over $160,000 from her former employer and was looking at a potential prison term. She was allowed to remain out of custody um, until her sentence came due. And then a day before her sentencing, she forged a doctor's note and his signature Saying that cancerous cells had been discovered in her uterus during a biopsy.
1: Uh-oh. Okay.
0: Essentially faking <laughs> cancer to get out of serving her prison sentence.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. That's commitment. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, she even provided a fake note to her attorney as well, who Damn, just checking all the boxes. <laughs> yeah. He believed it to be genuine. He had sent it into the prosecutor hoping to get leniency. And She is now being charged with obstruction of justice for the fake cancer
1: letter. Just can't quit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which is like one of these things is like, well, you just did a thing to get out of a prison sentence that is going to earn you more time. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Anyway, so that's fun. She even. Yeah. She. I'm looking, so I'm looking at the article right now. They they essentially found out by August 2021, and yeah, now they're charging her with obstruction of justice. So, oops, her new <laughs> sentence, her new sentencing for the obstruction of justice charge is set for June 22nd, twenty June 27th, 2022. <laughs> I don't know how to read That's Too many okay. twos. I don't know how to read it's this whole like you're this whole podcast. Fraud. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my god. Um. So that is our news for today. That comes from International Business Times. We are going to move on to Netflix and Kill, which this week is a Hulu and Kill because we are talking about the dropout. Oh, God. I am obsessed. <laughs> you all on this podcast know I have been following the Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos case for a very, very, very long time. Mm-hmm. I am absolutely obsessed with this show. It is so good. Good. It's so good. And we promise to come back and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the dropout follows Elizabeth Holmes, who was the founder and CEO of Theranos, a company who purported to be able to run hundreds of tests off of a single drop of blood on their proprietary machines, all very important pieces, because it was all a lie. Yeah, She was then convicted of defrauding investors and is currently awaiting her sentencing, which I believe is set for sometime next year. Mm-hmm. They just... Um, as we're recording this, just started the trial of her boyfriend, investor. Uh, uh, I forget what Sonny, position he had. Oh, yeah.
1: He's C, he, he's CEO, CEO, wasn't he?
0: She was CEO.
1: CFO? He There's might have like been CFO.
0: Yeah. yeah. He, had, he had a higher position in the company, Sunny Balwani. Yeah. He is also up for a lot of fraud charges. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some thinking that... They are delaying her sentencing in hopes that she will cooperate for Sonny Balwani's trial. Mm -hmm. Should be very interesting. The show itself is based off of a podcast by the same name called The Dropout, uh, which is based on an article originally Mm -hmm. written by John Carreyrou Mm -hmm. about that essentially exposed Theranos for what it was and really got the SEC and the FBI to pay attention. Mm -hmm. So... The show itself is a, like, a biopic drama type deal. They, oh my god. I am just stunned by Amanda Amanda Seyfried is Elizabeth Holmes.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, One of the interesting things about this case in particular that people have reported is that when she was, like, younger, she had a different sounding voice and she changed Mm -hmm. her voice as she got into...
1: um, which irritates the ever loving shit out of me if yeah. you listen to some of her like interviews and stuff I'm yeah. just like you can tell that's fake yeah as, as she's- someone who's done voice acting you can <laughs> tell and <laughs> she started building this company and and like th-
0: those changes happened after she founded founded Theranos. Mm -hmm. Um, She changed her voice to make it a lot lower. Mm -hmm. So she would talk with this deep voice all the time, kind of monotone. Mm -hmm. Very similar to that. Yeah. Wore the black turtleneck with the black blazer and the red lipstick. Like that was the image that she wanted to put out there. Mm -hmm. The way that they like, and I think you had mentioned this last time we briefly talked about it, the way they handled the voice change Mm -hmm. in the show was like, so good.
1: I yeah. I honestly I cannot say enough. Just good the things funny about this there's show. a lot of like little funny jokes in it, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to the voice. The one guy's like, Why is she talking like that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was just like, ah. Yes. And I love they have um, what is her name? Lori <clears throat>
0: Metcalf uh is like the instructor. Now I'm now I'm yes. like, did mm-hmm. I get that right from Roseanne? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom went to high school with her, interestingly enough. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Um but they have her as this, uh, essentially professor who turned down her research and stuff very early on, like before she started Theranos, was like, this is mm-hmm. not going to work. Straight up told her this is not going to work. And her, like the, in one of the more recent episodes, there's the scene between them at the bar where she just like tells her off. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen the the most recent episode yeah. mm-hmm. um, where she's just like, you have ruined it for everybody. Good mm-hmm. job. Uh, yeah. Was just like brilliant. The casting in the show is so good. Mm-hmm. I always love a Stephen Fry moment. <laughs> like I love Stephen Fry in this mm-hmm. in this show. He's phenomenal. the The way they handled hit Ian Gibbons' suicide it was like very good, very mm-hmm. tasteful. I thought, but mm-hmm. like the impact of it and and yeah. the impact on his
1: widow and like. Oh, my God.
0: The whole thing. I seriously, I am in love with this. Do you want to... I've been talking this whole time. Do you want to give some thoughts, Jill?
1: No, I was... I'm always apprehensive when they do the kind of mm-hmm. biopic sort of style because sometimes it can be like over the top and too much yeah. and gaudy. Yeah. Um. But this was actually okay. I was a little apprehensive too because I was like... Because of the voice change thing, I'm like, how are they gonna do this? Without just being absolutely gauche. But it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> as well and as it a is surprised.
0: Like she is dead on Elizabeth Holmes. The look, the voice, the like the giant doe eyes. Yes. Yeah. And even just like the meter that she speaks in mm-hmm. is dead on Elizabeth Holmes.
1: I really wanna know though if she was just jamming out all the time on really horrible early two thousands music. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Clem just yes. like the soundtrack to this is really upsetting me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that part of it is accurate. Mm-hmm. Um they there's a scene where they have the the song in like she's driving her brother I think and there's that song it's a country song, which is why I can't remember because I'm not big on country. Um but that song she had previously said in interviews was like her like her inspiration song. That was like her get her up hype and go song. song. Yeah. yeah, her hype song. Yeah. So like some of these things are just like, Yep, that actually happened. Mm-hmm. This shit there are there are times in the show and like I I think I am unusual in that I know this case back to front. Like mm-hmm. I have read all the things. I have listened to all the things. I have watched all the things. And there are parts in the show where I'm like, I am so glad that they included these details because it's like, that happened. Like, that was a, that was a thing. And I can imagine people who are maybe not as familiar with the case watching that being like, that can't be real. It's like, no, these are these are things that actually happened in her whole f- fucking fraud scheme, mm-hmm. you know? And watching it, and I get the same feeling when I'm like reading about the case makes my skin crawl. Like mm-hmm. it makes me so furious because she just has no empathy for anybody yeah. like a true sociopath. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's, <laughs> I could go on and on. Um, it's very good. By the time this episode goes comes out, I think it sh- should be finished. I think the final episode should be out. They're very yeah. close to the end. Mm-hmm. Definitely check it out. It's called The Dropout on Hulu. If you... Are looking for something to listen to, I would also suggest the podcast, The Dropout, is also very, very good. It gives a lot of great detail on the case itself. Um, so check it out. This is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. This week, um, it's going to get a little violent. Oh, God. <laughs> it's
1: it's going to be so it's violent. It's going to be
0: kind of brutal. Mm-hmm. We're talking murder. We're talking kidnapping. We're talking beatings. We're talking yeah. taserings. We're talking all sorts of things. Yeah. Mine's going to be very uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> Great. It's been a long time, guys. <laughs> once it's not me. I know.
0: <laughs> so I thought there, there are two reasons why I chose um, the topic that I will tell you guys about in just a second. One, I really like the idea of sort of revisiting some of the topics that we covered on our, like, earliest episodes. Mm-hmm. And so today we are covering uh, movies that were based on actual crime. And Which I think was like one of the first episodes that we recorded. It might be yes, the first it episode. It was the first episode that we that recorded. We did. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to go back and look at some more of these cases because now time has passed, some more movies have come out, you know, things like mm. that. Um, I also, now working from home, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, watch a I, – and I know we've talked about this on the podcast before. When I am working, I tend to watch trash TV. My trash TV at the moment, no judgment, please, is – the 90 Day Fiance franchise. I have a, a watch yeah, guide. I
1: definitely watched that a little bit. I have <laughs> a watch
0: guide of like how to watch all the seasons in order from all the various spinoffs. I am going through it. I'm oh, wow. powering through. <laughs> yeah. That's um, committed. But part of this, because it's on TLC, I get Discovery Plus ads all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. And right now, they're advertising heavy for, actually, I think what you're going to talk about. So. Really? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Didn't it, see that. It's a, um, but it's like a ghost investigation. So we'll, oh, we'll okay. talk about that later. Okay. But <laughs> So I was like, I think this would be really fun to do. So we're going to talk about movies that have been based on real crimes, I will also say I'm doing something very unusual that I don't know that we have ever done before.
1: Uh oh. Okay. Um,
0: mine is actually going to be a two parter. So, what? Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm sorry. What?
0: Yeah. So, in a future episode, I'm going to come back and actually finish this story up. It's okay. not going to be like, I would Immediate. say, I would say mm-hmm. within the next month, mm-hmm. we will finish this story up. But it is, I wanted to cover this and it is so big that it's going to take two episodes. Okay. It is. That I tried really hard. We have never done a two-parter ever. We have never done a two-parter <laughs> before. We, I tried so hard, but when I hit five pages, I was like... You're done. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, guys. I cannot take over the whole podcast. Janelle would just not be happy. <laughs> She's got other things to do today. Like, no, I know. I'm so busy. <laughs> <laughs> so, in 2013, Michael Bay... <laughs>
1: Oh, no. My- oh, no, Vicki.
0: In 2013, Michael Bay directed an interesting film Ooh. starring Mark Wahlberg, Ooh. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, mm-hmm. Anthony Mackie, Tony Shalhoub, and Ed Harris. Yeah, he sure did. <laughs> called Pain and Gain. Mm-hmm. Um, which I played the trailer for TIFF. I was like, do you remember this? At least I have not. I'll, I admittedly have not seen the movie. Mm-hmm. It was one of these that I was. It's. It's not. It's a black comedy, and it did look kind of funny, but it's mm-hmm. not necessarily something I would gravitate towards. It's yeah. kind of this, like, hulky, you know, bodybuilding, action-y, bro film. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the impression That's
1: very accurate. <laughs> yeah, and it's just not something I generally gravitate towards. Yeah, I generally try to avoid anything by Michael Bay, but I did actually watch that movie, and it, did was, you? it was pretty good. It was I, a little cheesy. Yes. Well, yeah. Good. Um, And I... I might
0: honestly, I might watch it after covering this case, mm-hmm. just like knowing the background behind it, Um, because the movie was loosely based on a series of articles by the same name that was published in the Miami New Times about the Sun-Jim gang.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I'll also be relying heavily on these articles. They were written by Pete Collins in 1999. But oh my God, this saga. Mm-hmm. Strap in. Yes. <laughs> So the strange tale begins with John Meese and the Sun Gym. Uh, Meese began the Sun Gym in 1987 after a successful bodybuilding career at Texas A&M, where he also earned his accounting degree. What a combo. <laughs> yeah. And he did both things, like, in his life. Had, like, this bodybuilding side and this accountancy side.
1: It's all about the numbers. It's yeah. all about the gains. Mm. <laughs> You're welcome. The The gains,
0: (laughs) Great. (laughs) Um, So before opening the gym, like I said, Mies had a successful um, career as an accountant. He was the president of his own firm, Mies & Associates in Miami Shores. But he had these sort of big dreams of promoting the best bodybuilders and making um, Sun Gym like the center of all of it. However, the clientele and the staff were less than savory. This is from the Miami New Times, quote, One sun sun gym manager, according to lore, had left for vacation and was arrested in Louisiana with massive amounts of cocaine and amphetamines in his car.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Another manager, an ex-cop, quit working at the sun gym and then performed the ultimate reverse sting when he led three drug dealers out to the Everglades and executed them.
1: Okay, then. Now, by
0: 1992, the business was, it's safe to say the business was fledgling um, and was really only a drain on finances. Mies, at this point, was looking to offload it. Um, He still had his accounting firm to deal with. And the gym was having a negative impact on business over there because you had all of these accounting clients who knew the reputation of the gym and kind of were like, we don't really want to do business with somebody attached to this like kind of sketchy gym. Understandable. I would, I would probably do the same thing. Be like, Ugh, maybe not. <laughs> um. So Mies was ready to be done until he met Daniel Lugo. Lugo came to Mies looking for a job along with a ton of ideas of how to improve things at the gym, essentially laying out this roadmap to turn Sun Gym into an entire empire. However, Lugo also brought with him a criminal record. He had recently been released from Eglin Air Force Base Federal Correctional Institute for Fraud. This was the scheme, according to Miami New Times. Lugo masqueraded as David Lowenstein, an agent representing financiers connected to a fictitious Hong Kong bank that had millions to lend to American small business owners and entrepreneurs. Employing an advance fee payment schedule, he collected upfront from eager applicants supposedly to purchase Lloyd's of London insurance to ensure repayment of all of the loans. Lugo from the scam was able to collect $71,200 in fees and he never obviously never produced the loans Mm -hmm. as a part of his plea agreement. Lugo admitted to a similar ruse in Oklahoma and had to write an acceptance of responsibility statement to the court. His statement was essentially like, I did this. I did a bad thing. I will never do it again. And a slap on the wrist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was like, I'm a hardworking businessman and I need to use my sparts to be a hardworking businessman and not like a fraudster, like essentially. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much it. By the time Lugo tracked down Meese, he was taken, he was, he was out of prison on a three year probation sentence and was in the midst of paying $70,000 in restitution to his victims. He also wasn't allowed to establish any lines of credit or incur any credit charges without permission from his probation officer. So Mies hired Lugo, and um, he hired him as a manager at Sun Gym in hopes that he could revive its image. And by 1994, the gym had a juice bar like every weight station you could imagine. They had a babysitting service. There was also, like, a not-so-above-board steroid distribution (laughs) thing happening out of there. But that was, like, honestly, like, that was really common within bodybuilding circles especially yeah. in the early 90s mm-hmm. like that was just, steroids were just the thing that it He just did them. but while he was revitalizing Sun Jim, Lugo continued to do crimes in fact he went right back to criming almost immediately after he had been released from jail.
1: <laughs>
0: after being hired by Mies, Lugo met another weightlifter at the gym who was kind of into white collar crime and had also just been released from prison. Ooh, um, making friends. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, you got to find common ground. Mm-hmm. Like, you just got released from jail. I just got released from jail. You like white collar crime. I like white collar crime. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Again, from the Miami New Times, quote, together they established 10 phony medical companies, then rented dozens of mailboxes. They bought names, social security numbers, birth dates, and other information about legitimate Medicare recipients for $10 a piece and mailed fraudulent bills to the government for non existent medical services, end quote. So, Medicare fraud. A portion of the proceeds went to Lugo's good friend, Adrian Dorbel, who, although he was only 22, had. Uh, two clients and an expired visa and was able to invest a million dollars into a Merrill Lynch mutual fund account. Sounds legit. Yeah. (laughs) All above board, I'm Mm -hmm, sure. mm -hmm. Now, around this time in 1994, a Haitian immigrant named Carl Weeks decided to leave New York and head for Miami in hopes of straightening his life out.
1: Yeah, Miami's the place to go for that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It was interesting. One of the articles mentioned, like, it's like going to Las Vegas to uh, recover from a gambling problem. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. (laughs) Weeks also had an extensive criminal background that included home burglaries and armed robberies, eventually leading him down a path of alcohol and crack cocaine addiction. At age 30, Weeks made the decision to get clean and found God. Ultimately, leaving New York in hopes of earning enough money to bring his girlfriend, who was pregnant at the time with his third child, down to Miami. Thanks to a family connection, his girlfriend's co- cousin Stevenson Pierre, who worked at Sun Gym, um, Weeks was introduced to Lugal and Dorbel and asked if there was any work available at Sun Gym. Lugo apologized, saying the gym was under a hiring freeze due to a potential sale, but kind of like left it open to be like, well, we might have something for you in the future. Don't go anywhere type of thing. Mm-hmm. That future would be sooner than they thought. <laughs> when only a month later, Lugo asked Weeks to come by the office to talk about a potential opportunity. Present at this meeting was Lugo, Dorbel, Weeks, and Pierre. Lugo explained that a man named Mark Schiller had stolen $100,000 from him as well as an additional $200,000 from Sun Gym member John Delgado and asked if the men would like to make $100,000 for taking Schiller down. The, The term like taking down, they took it to mean mainly beating the shit out of him until he gave the money back taking anything valuable from him, including his house, oh, and possibly okay. killing him. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, they agreed, and the Sun Gym gang headed out to buy supplies that they may need, including shock-inducing taser guns, stainless steel handcuffs, and walkie-talkies. <laughs> they literally, they went to this place mm-hmm. called The Spy Store and, like, bought all this stuff. And it is, this is a recurring thing. Like, anytime they needed supplies for any of these jobs that they were doing, they went to the spy store and, yeah. like,
1: mm-hmm. got, got... I don't even... I mean, that's a meathead for you. you yeah.
0: Know. <laughs> oh, my God. The rest of the... There are some parts of this that I'm like, you literally could not make this stuff up. No. Like, just <laughs> so dumb. So after the, after they got all the stuff from the spy store, they... <laughs> They then rented a car and performed surveillance to determine the right time to abduct Schiller and take him to a warehouse that was owned by Delgado. Their plans were less than ideal, <laughs> oftentimes pretty comical in their execution. Um, again, from the Miami New Times, quote, for Halloween, they plan to don ninja outfits and trick or treat in Schiller's neighborhood. They <laughs> Sorry, this <laughs> sucks.
1: It's so utterly ridiculous.
0: <laughs> they knock on his door and nab him when he answered, but instead they opted to spend the night at a strip club.
1: You know what? Priorities. Okay.
0: <laughs> they thought of another scheme, kidnapping him as he drove along the Palmetto Expressway during rush hour. But as they tried to catch up to his car, Schiller took an unexpected exit ramp. End quote. <laughs> um, there was another instance where they so Schiller lived in this gated community. The dude had a shit ton of money and the Sun Jam gang had found this access road that essentially allowed anyone in. Hmm. So there was like the main entrance where you had to sign in and do whatever. But then there was just like this access road that anybody could get in. And so they decided to kidnap him in the early morning hours when he came out to retrieve this paper. But as they are – and they're described as being in, like, straight-up military gear, like, crawling on the ground, (laughs) blending in with their surroundings
1: and such. (laughs) Um, But – Which is super easy to do if you're a hulking fucking bodybuilder. Right. Yeah, these were not small guys. (laughs) No. These are, like – These are bodybuilders. Yeah.
0: But they got startled by a passing car and radioed mission abort, and then they all retreated. They're like, fuck, 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 let's get out of here. It's like a bunch of children (laughs) fucking playing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There were a couple other plans that went horribly awry. Um, I think it was seven total failed plans. Um, but for the sake of time, we are going to move forward.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so after a serious talk with Lugo about their abysmal performance thus far, the gang decided it was time for Pierre to sit this one out and bring in some new muscle. So the gang reached out to Mario Sanchez, who also went by Big Mario. Um, He was a former sun gym weightlifting instructor and licensed private eye. At the time, Sanchez was just working as a bouncer at a bar in Miami. Uh, Durbel and Weeks contacted Sanchez offering him, offering him a thousand dollars to essentially just show up and look big and mean, assuring him that there was no intention of hurting anybody saying that they were going to collect a drug debt. We just need you for like, just be the big mean guy. (laughs) In the meantime, Schiller had planned to meet a prospective buyer for a Schlotsky's restaurant that he owned oh God. that was not doing <laughs> that t- well. That took me back. Schlotzky's? <laughs> Schlotzky's
1: fucking deli, man.
0: <laughs> they're still around. I know. I was like, Ooh. Schlotzky's, They're still around, right? And I pulled. I was looking at their menu as I was
1: writing this. And that thought, took me back.
0: Okay. Jesus, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So Schiller waited until around four p.m., but the buyer never showed up. Deciding that he had waited long enough, he started heading towards his car when suddenly Sanchez, Dorbel, and Weeks jumped him, shocking him with tasers and grabbing him from the car and forcing him into the back of the van. From there, they shackled his ankles and put him in handcuffs and wrapped duct tape around his head, covering his eyes and ears. Uh, later, they will say that the duct tape is so tight that it actually was digging into the bridge of his nose. And mm. like he was just continuously bleeding oh, yeah. from the bridge of his nose. Mm. And it, I think it left a permanent mark too, like a permanent purple mark mm-hmm. uh, while they drove away in the van. The gang continued to beat and shock shiller along the way, eventually making it t- to Delgado's warehouse. In this point in time, they also like took his watch and his wallet and anything off of him that was valuable once Schiller was secured, the Sun Jim gang began collecting his possessions, starting with his car from the Schlotsky's parking lot. They also gave Schiller a number of scripts to practice for when they forced him to call family and business associates. His first call was to his wife, who he was forced to tell to flee back to Colombia with their kids. Uh, she listened and left, leaving Schiller's house empty. Haha. Mm hmm. The gang then forced Schiller to call a number of business associates saying he had fallen in love with a crazy Cuban woman and they were um, just madly in love and they wanted to convert all of this, all of his assets into cash and then run away together, like off into the sunset. Just like, yeah.
1: Yeah, of course. The dream. Mm -hmm. Sure. That always happens.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They also had him sign a number of documents that he couldn't see at the time. But they were all in regards to liquidating his assets. So originally, the Sun Jim Gang believed that this would be like a quick in and out style abduction. But it was taking far longer than anticipated to co- convert his assets into cash. Like they thought, oh, a couple of days, bing bang boom, done. No, stuff does
1: not work like that. No, no, not with large sums of money. Uh-uh. No,
0: a couple of days turned into a couple of weeks. And with the big score, the big score came when money from bank accounts in both Switzerland and the Cayman Islands were moved into his Miami bank account. They eventually were able to get that signed over, netting them $1.26 million. In the meantime, they had been taking things from Schiller's now empty house as well. Uh, but thanks to a $2 million life insurance policy that Schiller had unknowingly signed over to Lugo's ex-wife... Lugo and Dorbel decided it was time for Schiller to be no more. Their grandmaster plan was to get Schiller incredibly intoxicated and then put him in his car to be in a fatal crash. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the plan. In order to coax him to drink, the gang told him that they were working to smuggle him through customs and send him to uh, Colombia where his wife and child was at. The idea was that he had to get completely wasted so that Schiller could not ID their contact at the airport that was, like, helping smuggle him out. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point, Schiller was pretty much like, I know I am not getting out of here alive. Mm-hmm. Um, he had kind of figured out what was going on, knew that they were just lying to him to to deal with him and they were getting ready to kill him. Especially after these next two phone calls that he was forced to make one to his attorney, Gene Rosin, in order to sign over his power of attorney to Delgado. And one to his wife in Colombia, saying he was wrapping things up in the U.S. and then heading um, her way. On December 14th, 1994, Lugo forced Schiller to take sleeping pills in addition to all of the alcohol that he was being fed. Uh, the following day, now one month into captivity, the Sun Jim gang put their fin- their final plan in motion taking Schiller and his car while the gang followed behind, they went to a parking lot that was, like, not far from the Schlotskys They put Schiller into the driving seat while Lugo, who sat in the passenger seat, slammed on the gas and steered the car into a concrete utility pole. Just before the collision, he jumped out of the vehicle. However, when they inspected the car um, and Schiller following the crash, he was still very much alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They then decided to light Schiller and the car on fire, adding a portable propane tank for more theatrics. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: However, after lighting him ablaze, Schiller managed to open the door and get out of the car. Weeks, who was driving the second car that had followed them out to the parking lot, began chasing Schiller around the lot, eventually running him over two times Mm -hmm. and leaving him to die.
1: Yep, that was definitely part of the trailer for that movie. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um,
0: there are some things in, I, I mean, again, I have not watched the movie, but even just in the trailer, that's like, yep, that happened. Yep, that crazy thing mm-hmm. happened. Yep, that crazy thing kind of happened. Like, <sighs> so they ran him over twice. <laughs> However, Schiller was still alive. He was found and admitted to the hospital initially as a John Doe with a DUI. They thought he was wicked drunk. Obviously, they had fed him alcohol and sleeping pills. um, And he was unconscious. So they could not tell. He couldn't tell him who he was. But he regained consciousness following emergency surgery to remove his spleen and repair a shattered pelvis and ruptured bladder and was finally able to tell the hospital his name. Schiller had reached out to his attorney, who put him into contact with Ed Dubois, who was a Miami private investigator. Um, Schiller was looking for protection, but instead Dubois told him to disappear. Pretty much like you're in a hospital and the hospital not has your name. They're going to be, if they know you're alive, they're going to be looking for you to kill you. Mm-hmm. Giving the hospital his name may have kind of been a mistake because like Dubois predicted, the Sun Jim gang was kind of keeping an eye and ear out for where he was mm-hmm. and to see if he survived. They were finally able to track him down at the hospital and plan to kill him there. Their first attempt found them lost in a maze of hallways at the hospital. Eventually, leaving after they got worried about cops standing guard outside the door. <laughs> they never—it's never like the first plan no, that they do, and really they get isn't. spooked so easily. Probably because most of these guys are felons already. Yeah. Um,
1: and it's not like they're not noticeable either. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like a yeah. fucking brick wall coming at you. <laughs>
0: exactly. <So. laughs> stealthy brick wall. <laughs> mm,
1: super stealthy.
0: <laughs> Instead, Lugo decided to, he obtained a couple of hospital uniforms so that they could sneak into his room. One of the plans also included taking silencers into the hospital and just shooting everybody in that hospital room and leaving, which I thought. Just a little bit. Overkill. overkill yeah yeah <laughs> so right before they left with their new hospital uniforms they called the hospital to confirm if schiller was still a patient but by that time he had left hmm. um literally the next day so with the help of his sister schiller was able to hire in air ambulance and against advice from doctors, he was transported um, from the hospital in Miami to New York. Lucky for Schiller, um, if you could call it that, I guess (laughs) he remembered everything that happened to him during captivity. Even more lucky Schiller knew that Delgado was one of the people behind the plot. He kind of recognized some of the voices of these other people, but he Pretty much could not see anything the entire time he was there. He began working with Dubois in an attempt to recover his assets. After writing down everything he could remember and sending all of the documents he could find to Dubois, Schiller left to rejoin his wife in Colombia, partly to be reunited with his wife, but also because he was at a point where he was fearing for his life, that these guys were just going to be after him all the time. So he left the country. In the meantime, the Sun Jim gang, believing they were pretty much in the clear, like Schiller had not come back yet. At one point, Schiller's brother Alex had contacted them like, we know what you fucking did. We're coming for you. But then they didn't really hear anything after that. So they thought, okay, like we're all good and decided to move into Schiller's now empty house, which I remember seeing that they were planning on stealing his house. And I thought. How? (laughs) Like, how do you just steal somebody's house? Yeah. This is how. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The house itself had been transferred to D&J International, which was a shell company that was owned by Lugo. So the paperwork had already been dealt with um, when they were having Schiller sign all this random paperwork. Weeks received about half of the promised $100,000 for his involvement. Pierre received even less, just $30,000, because he had kind of an anger problem. They didn't really feel like he was involved, especially when it came to, like, the plot to kill Schiller. They were like, you were not around, so Mm. you don't get as much money. This This, I thought, was kind of brilliant, if you could call it that. So to deal with their neighbors, Lugo introduced himself as Tom, saying he was a member of U.S. security forces and Mm -hmm. (laughs) telling the neighbors, you see, like, Schiller's home had been confiscated and was actually government property. So Tom and the rest of his associates were there to maintain the property um, and... If they saw, like, strange people coming in and out from the property or from the neighborhood, they were likely diplomats from the Caribbean. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Which I thought, I mean, it's not, like, the worst of lies. Mm -hmm. Like, I've heard some really, really terrible ones about, like, what people are doing that just don't, I mean, if you think critically about them for a second, it's like, that does not add up. But they, I mean, they talked about like they would go and do like housework for some people in the neighborhood. One of their neighbors accepted a bunch of packages for them while they weren't home, and like would just like bring them back over. Like they were just the friendly neighborhood U.S. security forces.
1: Yeah, you just have to be really confident. You know, that's
0: what I learned. True.
1: You just have to have the confidence, and people will just fucking believe you. It's
0: that's <laughs> so true. You just gotta walk in with that big dick energy, yeah. and then you're
1: like, I am U.S.
0: security forces.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're big. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they were all like bodybuilders, so it was uh-huh. like, yeah, okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Now Dubois had begun his investigation, and many of the documents um, that he was seeing seemed to have something in common. They were all witnessed and notarized by John Meese, the owner of the gym. Dun dun dun. And <laughs> interesting, interestingly, Dubois actually knew Meese. Like they had some connection mm. in their time, and so he's. Called him, scheduled a meeting with him. Meese denied knowing Schiller, but admitted to knowing Delgado and Lugo. Dubois presented him with the documents that he had notarized. Like what is, what is up with this? Why did you notarize these? Uh, but me sort of like wrote it off as these other documents that he said he had notarized at the time that had to do with like visas or passports or something. Mm-hmm. This kicked off a series of weird meetings between Dubois and Meese <laughs> along with Lugo and Delgado In one, for instance, Mies had ushered Dubois into an office to allow him to review some paperwork. The office, however, was actually one used by Lugo regularly. He, like, held an office at this accounting firm that he would use to conduct business. Mm -hmm. Um, It it was the actual office where the crime itself had been planned. Very nice. (laughs) And he... Dubois did not realize this at the time. And I don't know that Meese, like, realized what he was doing when he took him into this empty office. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a private investigator, Dubois was like, well, let me look through the trash and just see. Because he was looking at all these documents. Most of them were unremarkable. It was just, like, standard business stuff. Mm-hmm. So he started looking through the trash just to be like, well, maybe I could find something in here. Because trash is kind of a gold mine yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazingly, he was able to find a ton of paperwork relating to Sun Jim and the members of the gang. They also found bank statements reporting, or excuse me, relating to the members of the Sun Jim gang, including a cashier's check for $67,845 that paid off Lugo's court-ordered restitution. Having all of this new evidence, Dubois directly confronted Delgado, who was supposed to be at this meeting and was late. Delgado, kind of like realizing he'd been caught, uh, proposed a compromise. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> in exchange for returning Schiller's one point two six million, both Schiller and Dubois would have to sign a contract saying that they wouldn't repeat the story to anyone else, especially the police. Mm-hmm. Okay, now. Dubois and Schiller conferred with attorney Ed O'Donnell, who was pretty skeptical of such a deal. He was he wasn't even sure that they'd be able to, like, find an attorney that would write up this contract for them Um, because him being like, well, we'll give you this money back if you don't tell the police is essentially a confession. Yeah. And, like, really, Dubois, as a private investigator, could have taken that to police and been like... Here you go, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but in fact, the Sun Jim gang had been able to find an attorney, uh Joel Greenberg, who did in fact draft up the contract. they uh, Lugo at one point had come up with this plan to like alter the contract so that instead of a dollar sign, they used a lira sign, I think. Mm-hmm. And so instead of the one point two six million, it would actually amount to like twelve hundred dollars. But he told the attorney that and the attorney was like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Like, I'm not I'm not on board with this. Mm -hmm. So he drafted up this contract, but then left the um, like currency symbol spot blank and was like, if you want to do that, that is up to you. Like, I do not have any involvement in that. Like, here's your contract that you asked me to draft. Mm -hmm. Copies went back and forth between the parties for a while, but no money ever made its way to Schiller. As you probably expected. (laughs) Uh, Dubois eventually threatened that if the money was not returned, quote, he'd deliver to the Sun Jim gang a civil RICO complaint so large I'll have to deliver it in a U-Haul. And
1: (laughs) 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 Okay. (laughs)
0: Schiller had filed a challenge to the deed at this point, the deed to his house, and the Sun Jim gang knew things were quickly coming to a close and began taking everything they could out of Schiller's house. Rather than respond to the challenge, the gang made off with around $150,000 in property and a BMW, which I think one of the guys gave to like his girlfriend. Mm. <laughs> Schiller won his challenge. And once he was back in possession of the property, like Schiller was still in Colombia, So he sent Dubois to go look at the property. And he pretty much said, there's nothing left here. Like, it's almost like you guys never lived here. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> now, by this point... Dubois and Schiller knew that the money was never going to be returned and decided to go to the police. Um, So Dubois got in touch with a contact of his at the Metro Dade PD, who referred the case to uh, the Strategic Investigations Division, which was kind of like this elite investigations division um, that dealt with a lot of these sort of RICO cases. Schiller at this point returned to Florida just for a few days. Like he was, they were able to coax him back to come do this interview with the police. So he sat down with police and sort of recounted the entire horrific tale of his abduction and captivity, um, and how he was forced to turn over his assets. However, SID was pretty skeptical. Of this fantastical story. And they initially were like. Yeah it sounds fucking ridiculous. (laughs) It does sound ridiculous. Yeah it totally sounds like. There's no way this could have happened. And it is horrific. Like I left out a lot of details. Mm -hmm. In the. um, Captivity portion of the story. Because they are pretty brutal. I mean they were just. Constantly torturing him with. Tasers and beating him. And Mm -hmm. mocking him like while. He was in custody. It was awful and so i can see him going into a police department and being like but but also part of the thing was they waited four months before they went to the police yeah doesn't really help your credibility no Mm -mm.
1: but at the same time lots of victims do that though so
0: yeah lots of victims do that schiller was pretty well off Mm -hmm. um he had contacted the private investigator through his attorney which is like not something that would normally happen if you were just sort of like a run-of-the-mill criminal mm-hmm. um so for Dubois like that was enough for him to be like okay this guy is legit um let me at least look into the claims which once he started looking in was like yeah there's some merit here but siD was like yeah I don't think this is right so they had originally he had come into town on like a Wednesday and he had only planned to be in for three days Wednesday. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, one of the reasons he came back in was because Dubois was insistent that he get a, a lie detector, mm-hmm. um, mainly to establish credibility to the authorities of his client. Like he wanted to be able to say Schiller took this lie detector test; he passed. What he's saying is true. They were all on board for that. Um, they had scheduled it for the next day. Then they came back and they were like, "Well." We couldn't schedule it until Friday. Would Schiller be able to stay in town until Friday? Schiller was like, I'm really fucking scared. And I'm not super willing to extend my stay because in these three days or extra day, like, they may come and try to kill me. Yeah. Um. He did end up extending his stay. But then SID was like, actually, we don't. <laughs> he They didn't tell him this, but they said, even with all the evidence that Dubois had collected, they decided instead to refer the case to the robbery division, which Mm -hmm. was kind of like the death rattle for this investigation. Because the robbery division was already handling, you know, purse snatching and random small stuff. They had thousands and thousands of cases. Like, they knew as soon as this got transferred to the robbery division, it was not going to be investigated properly. Mm -hmm. Now, even there, they said... They pretty much should have told Schiller, like, we do not believe this story at all. Um, He had, like I said, waited four months before talking to police. There was this perception at the time, too, because he was Colombian, that Miami Colombians were largely involved in the cocaine trade and that he was probably just, like, a criminal cocaine importer. Mm -hmm. Um, So by that time, Dubois had kind of decided to take the evidence to the FBI and the FBI was like, yeah, we're not going to investigate this. So they were pretty much getting dismissed by everybody based on Mm -hmm. that case. And this is where I'm going to leave it
1: cliffhanger for today.
0: (laughs) Nobody's taking the case. We will come back to this, but like I said, like there is a whole second crime to talk about in Mm -hmm. this story. However, pain and gain pretty much deals with this aspect Mm -hmm. of, of this case. Um, the movie itself, um, they have, like, three of the gang members, and I think one of them is supposed to be representative of, like, three of the real-life yeah. gang members. Mm-hmm. Like I said, very loosely based. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> loosely is, like, the key word there on this series of articles. But we'll definitely post them up because it is a very interesting it's read. It's so ridiculous.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy.
0: But... Stay tuned, because I will be bringing you the second part of the story. Oh my soon. Dun, dun, dun,
1: Okay, so that was, um, that was a little bit lighter than mine. <laughs> Yeah, I, it was kind of fun. This yeah, is was fun. I, yeah, I really mean, you left out some gruesome details, which is fine. Because yes. mine's going to fill in for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to do, that's why I really wanted to cover, even though it's a huge case and I did have to split it, like, mm-hmm. it is just kind of a, fun is not the right word, interesting, Yeah. Uh, yeah. weird, random, mm-hmm. it's kind of a spectacle. <laughs> yeah, spectacle for you know? sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: So tell me. So my uh, trigger warning <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> on this one, just be mindful there is some assault and uh, some, oh, I forget the terminology where you're uh, messing with dead bodies. Um, oh, necrophilia? Not the sexually kind, oh, okay. uh, but where you, where you, you know, just kind of do stuff with bodies after they're dead. Um, <laughs> Dismemberment?
0: <laughs> yeah, a little bit of that. Yeah, okay. A little, a little,
1: all kinds of stuff. Okay. Uh, all right. Anyway. Okay. Ahem. Um, so we're going to take a look at a case that was actually the basis for the movie franchise of Scream. Yes. (gasps) Now, if you recall, Scream, for those, uh, Gen Z people who haven't seen the whole thing yet. Uh, Sydney Prescott. Uh, it follows her and her small town and how they're terrorized by the ghost face masked killer. There was a new one that just came out. Oh, yeah. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, this particular movie is said to be the film that, like, brought back slasher flicks in the 90s. And it had that, like, really quintessential opener where Drew Barrymore, spoiler alert, is murdered in the first few moments of the movie. Uh, So that begs the question, what the fuck kind of a case would inspire such a horrible movie? Yes. Well, we're going to look at the case of the Gainesville Ripper. Yes.
0: So this is like I said, I almost covered this because I keep seeing that fucking ad for this Discovery Plus show. It's called "Scream: The True Story," um, and it is like a paranormal investigation of the Gainesville Ripper. Is Zach Baggins in it? No, it is <laughs> not. That seems like a very Zach Baggins thing to do. It is paranormal investigator Steve Shippy and psychic medium Cindy Keza. Okay, which I see Sydney
1: Keza, and I'm like, yeah, oh I boy. haven't seen any advertisements for this, so I'm going yeah. to look at that, but yeah, yikes, okay, <laughs> I, that,
0: I swear to God, I see like sixteen of them in one okay. day, I' <laughs> hmm. look into that, yeah, anyway, continue, so.
1: We're going to go way back in the time machine to 1990. <laughs> this is a
0: very 90s centric It's so 90s centric.
1: I need you to just get on them JNCO jeans. Yes. And just listen to the cardigans. Wear my we're gonna talk about it. Right? <laughs> we're going to talk about it. Because that was 32 years ago. And I was like, oh, man. Oh my God. Ugh. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. It is 32 years ago. It just like I shudder at the thought of my entire childhood being so old now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um... Of course, if you're familiar with Gainesville, it is in Florida, and it's a very, very, very big college town. Like, when you think of spring break quintessential college feels, that's Gainesville, Florida. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is where the University of Florida is located, and it's a really big party town. Like, people specifically go to that school just to fucking party, which yes. is nuts to me. Yes. I went to school learned and then left like I didn't have any party time I was like I'm gonna make these fucking paintings and I'm gonna get the fuck out of here
0: Yeah, I probably had a little too much party time my first time around, I'll be honest. Yeah. I got it. You know what? But I'm 31 and I finally got it
1: together, bitches. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so hey, well, it's fine. I was
1: really leaning into that lonely artist kind of thing, yeah. you know, that just like, huh? Oh. Yeah. This is your, your post-punk, like. This is my, my post-punk sads is what yeah. I call it. <laughs> post-punk sads. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like painting eight foot <laughs> canvases soaked in blue paint like, what woe is me. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I'll do that face. Um, so, you know, this makes a really great scene for a murder, a college town. <laughs> of course, of course. So our story will open in August. Hello, the beginning of the semester. Everyone's coming back to campus. Uh, students were just moving into their new apartments all across town. And in the early hours of August 24th, a University of Florida freshman, Christina Powell and Sonia Larson, were asleep in their two-story apartment, which apparently is a thing in Florida to have a two-story apartment, (laughs) like condo style for us here. Oh, yeah. So they were in their two-story apartment. The intruder broke into their apartment and went up the stairs to Larson's room first. Upon entering, the intruder taped her mouth shut to quiet her screams and then stabbed her to death with a K-bar knife. We're going zero to ten right off oh the Oh my bat. gosh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Jesus. So then the intruder came back down the stairs and Powell, the roommate, was actually asleep on the couch. So they proceeded to also tape her mouth shut and tape her arms. They cut her clothes off and assaulted her before also stabbing her to death. The intruder then repositioned the bodies into sexual poses before showering and then leaving the apartment.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So, this is, this sounds like someone who already has their MO pretty fucking figured out. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're a seasoned vet. Yeah. Um, No kidding. Jeez. The next evening, the perp would commit an even more gruesome crime. They broke into the apartment of 18-year-old Krista Hoyt, prying open a sliding glass door with a screwdriver, which is my ultimate reason why I've never lived in an apartment. <laughs> or had a sliding glass door i walked it like when i went uh, like looking for houses i was like no no sliding glass doors no windows that are like on ground level i was like ain't nobody coming in here (laughs) as long as you put a
0: like a stick in there it's normally fine right (laughs) like one of those you know i'm talking about like a stick with the rubber yeah no i was talking about you can still open a It takes no,
1: a bit more effort. I have to be able to live somewhere. Like I know. <laughs> girl. <laughs> I know. When my brother um, moved down to Nashville, he got his uh girlfriend at the time a like a heavy metal thing that goes against the, your front door of your apartment that like props it and keeps oh, it yeah. shut because there were people kicking indoors in Nashville at the time. And I was like, wow. <laughs> This is where what we're at fuck? in life, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's all kinds of devices you can use. Oh my um, God. I whenever I'm like home alone and I'm kind of getting the heebs, I just like uh, put stuff in front of the doors because my house has like a thousand doors. So you have to walk yeah. through a thousand doors to get up to the bedroom, yeah. so I would definitely hear someone coming. So yeah. I like booby trap at home alone style, yeah. Where I'm like, if this if this trips, I, someone's in the house. I yeah. know it.
0: Well, we, we all know you have weapons in your bedroom, I know. Like, I, have so many,
1: I have so many knives in my bedroom. <laughs> so back to the story.
0: <laughs> this is a how to keep yourself safe hour with right? you know. <laughs> just, just put World War II trench knives in yeah. your bed,
1: and you'll be fine. Um, <laughs> so they they broke in with the screwdriver. They then realized that the apartment was actually empty, so they lied in wait. At 11 a.m. in the morning, Hoyt returned home and was surprised by her attacker coming fuck through the door. That. I know. I know. That like, is too early. Girl, you know I got my danger pocket in my purse. I'd be like, uh-uh. <laughs> Listen, I'm just stopping home <laughs> in my
0: apartment in between classes. I'm just trying to get a snack. Like, yeah. I'm not ready for this. Don't fuck
1: with me. I need to take a nap. Yeah. Um. So they duct taped her hands and mouth, also cut her clothes off, assaulted her, and stabbed her. Wow. But this time, the cutting of Hoyt was... Even more masochistic. They were extremely deep and extremely violent, and they cut her so deeply in her chest that they opened her aorta. Oh my God. Like, it, I keep our knives are pretty gruesome in and of themselves. Yeah. But, like, the veracity to go through your breastbone yeah. and cut your aorta, like, that is. That's what I was thinking. Violence. You got a whole rib cage in there. Oh, yeah. Like- That's what it's there for to protect <laughs> all those soft, meaty bits underneath. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> so the perpetrator left, but returned a short time later because they thought they had left something at the crime scene. So they thought they had left their wallet and they went back to double check. And after returning, they decided that they wanted to change up the scene of the crime. They wanted to add shock value. So
0: wait, he he actually left
1: and came back. Okay. This is the very, very gruesome part. The perpetrator then decapitated Krista Hoyt, positioned her body on the bed, sitting on the edge of the bed, facing a shelf across from her bed where they placed her head. Oh my God. Yeah. That's really fucked up. That is the most fucked up part of this entire story. I was like just to think about that. Yeah. Like to leave and to come back for something stupid and then be like, "You know what? I'm going to up the ante and I'm going to then decapitate someone who's been sitting there for a little bit." Yo. Yeah. No. So, it was it was real gross. Wow. So. Now, both crime scenes were found relatively quickly, and police knew that they had been connected, obviously. Within a day of each other, exactly the same kind of crime scene and one more brutal. There's someone ramping up, right? Yeah. The murders of Krista Hoyt, Christina Powell, and Sonia Larson were all over the news. The crimes prompted the campus to put out an alert to students about safety precautions. When I was reading all of these articles, it just took me back to when that girl was, like, uh, kidnapped or disappeared on campus when I was at Northern Illinois University. I was like, oh, my God. Like, PTSD moment. Yeah. Um, So... Universities aren't always really great with their responses. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, so they sent out a safety alert, which was the best that they could do. The semester had just started. So several students actually withdrew from the university, and there was a significant slump in enrollment because wow. this was like the first week of fucking classes. Yeah. So they were like, Welcome back to campus. Withdrawal. Like, I don't geez. need to go to school this semester. Oh my God. Um, I probably
0: honestly like I probably would have done the same thing. Be like, I need to get the fuck out of
1: here. Yeah, like, I mean, first of all, I never would have went to fucking yeah, Florida. True. But true. <laughs> Florida <laughs> here's is your first bill. Worse, <laughs> don't go to school there. Don't live there. Don't even visit. <laughs> fuck Disneyland. <laughs> um. So a couple days later, on August 27th, the perpetrator broke into another apartment with a screwdriver. Same trick through the sliding glass door. Uh, this was the apartment of Tracy Powell's and her roommate Manny. Taboda. Both of them were 23 years old, so a little bit older than the um, previous ones. The perp came to Manny's room first, where Manny immediately woke. So this is the first man that we're kind of witnessing in this okay. uh, spree here. Uh, Toboda fought the perpetrator, but ul- ultimately was overcome and stabbed to death. Hearing the noise, this smart, sweet woman... Uh, Powell started to walk down the hallway to kind of, like, see what was going on uh, in Manny's room. And then she saw them struggling and ran back to her room and barricaded herself in. Now, this was 1990. So there's no, like, cordless phones everywhere. Sure. And there's no cell phones. Sure. So, like, you're pretty relatively fucked. Yeah. (laughs) The perp broke the door down. And taped Powell's hands and mouth, proceeding with the exact same MO of assaulting, cutting her clothes off, and stabbing her to death. Now, this case is a little different because Tobota's body was left in the room as it was. After he killed Powell, he did position her like all the other women. So, in this instance, uh, Manny Taboda was just kind of there. And so, they were just handled, and that was that. Okay. The... All the women in, the, in these cases that were killed were all petite brunettes. Um, so he was kind of going after the same sort of looking women. Okay. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot of reconnaissance happening. So he wasn't that, like watching apartments to really get a super big feel of what was going on. He that was, was going to be picking, my next question.
0: Yeah. yeah he was just
1: kind of like picking them um, because it's it's a college town. You're going to more often than not have an apartment with a bunch of women in it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, clearly, I mean. You say no reconnaissance, but obviously I'm thinking he had to, like, follow these people back to their apartment, because even then, there's the one that happened at 11 o'clock in the fucking morning. Like, he probably was like, oh, just follow her back, you know? Mm -hmm. But then There were times that he
1: broke in and then nobody was there. Yeah, so I don't think he was doing too much watching.
0: Ah, weird.
1: Now, police had started to eye a local man named Edward Lewis Humphrey as a prime suspect. Now, the man in question had a history of mental illness and he was covered in scars across his face from a horrible car wreck that he was in, like like really visible scars, like almost comic book, like Batman villain scars on his face. He took lithium to control mood swings, so he had some bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. and it left him look like the the drugs that he was taking left his face looking really swollen, so it amplified um, the appearance of his scars, which is just very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, really, to be perfectly honest <laughs> in reading the articles, uh, his appearance is what drove people to think that he was the perpetrator. Which is so, so this sad. This
0: is... Oh, my God. How many times have I said, what the fuck does a murderer look like? When exactly. people are like, mm-hmm. you didn't look like a murderer. It's like, what does one look
1: like? Because yeah. I've seen some
0: really normal dudes mm-hmm. that have gone out and killed a bunch of fucking people.
1: Yeah. So, I feel like his uh, looks were really what God. drove people to think that they, he was the perpetrator. Yeah. Um, neighbors have reported seeing him walking around with a long knife in the neighborhood. Again, he had a history of mental illness. So...
0: Jesus. Chalking
1: it up to that. The 18-year-old was a freshman at the university and was arrested for an altercation with his grandmother where he had shown a knife at her. Um, if you're, I mean, I don't know if you've ever known anyone who started taking lithium. It's not a great transition when you start taking lithium. Uh, oftentimes it can amplify some of the problems you have until you find the dosage that works for you.
0: Is that still like a common treatment? It um, is not treatment? common, but okay. people
1: do take lithium because they know it. You have to have really severe bipolar disorder um, because that drug is really intense. It's very intense. Because I was going to say,
0: even like I I know um, a person or two with severe bipolar and they Mm -hmm. do not take that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think now they're just better
1: medications available that Mm -hmm. are not as lithium was really the only thing that was available yeah for the longest time yeah Um, also people didn't really care to try to make drugs for
0: mental illness say mental illness wasn't a thing right like nobody was mentally ill they were just they were just
1: having a hard time they were just (laughs) sad Yeah. be happy they were just having the Sunday sads (laughs) The post-punk... Uh, yeah, right? post punk ads. Yeah, that's mean. Um, <laughs> so, um he got arrested because of the altercation with his grandmother, and they set they sent him to jail, and they set his bail at a million fucking dollars. And left him in the jail cell. As that they is they, excessive. Yeah, they were just like, we're going to build a case around this guy. So, they found a perpetrator, and then they were just trying to find evidence to implicate him, which is a really great way to do police work. Uh, <laughs> but luckily... For this unfortunate, sad man. Someone else happened to make a real big mistake, which took the eyes off of Humphreys. Oh, good. Now, this case was being broadcast across the U.S. And it sparked a terrible feeling um, in the police at a little place called Shreveport, Louisiana. An office called Gainesville, Florida, and notified them that their case bore a striking resemblance to a case that happened in Shreveport in November of 1989, just a year before. The case involved 55-year-old William Grissom, his 24-year-old daughter Julie, and their 8-year-old grandson Sean. Mm. The family had been attacked in their home as they were preparing dinner. Afterward, Julie Grissom's body had been mutilated, cleaned, and posed – Um, So upon hearing this, Detective Don Maines, who was an investigator on the case, traveled to Shreveport in November of 1990 just to kind of see the case files and what was up. Now, when he arrived there and he started going through the evidence, the similarities in the cases were astounding. Uh, Posing of the victims, tape residue on victims' bodies, and then the use of vinegar to clean um, was also common. Okay. Mains had the body fluids from the perpetrator in the Shreveport case tested and found that this person had type B blood, which was the same type of blood found at the scene of the crime. Because this is 1990. We no don't DNA. have DNA. Yeah. So we got to do stupid type on blood. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. Super reliable. Not like half of everybody has fucking some sort of bee in their blood. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so shortly after this, a Shreveport resident named Cindy Jurashik, I think is how you say her last name. It's weird. Um, <laughs> That's how I'd say it. Called Crime Stoppers and reported that a Danny Rowling was possibly connected to the murders of everyone in Florida and Louisiana. Oh. So Cindy had actually met Danny Rowling at her local church, where we meet all horrible people. No. <laughs> during oh <my> <laughs> during that period, her and her then-husband got to know Rowling, who had become so comfortable with them um, that he was casually saying very disturbing things to them.
0: You're like, oh yeah, this is great meatloaf. I killed somebody, but these this, potatoes, they're killing me. <laughs>
1: this made me think of... So I had this conversation with my brother and his wife, and... There have definitely been moments in my life where I've been with someone and our friends and there have been like, like a moment of contention and I'm like they want to swing with us like the, like the whole like these people oh. are interested in more than just hanging out kind of situations oh, so that's god. where I thought this was going to go <laughs> Oh my god And I'm like oh. Oh, no, instead, he would just tell them really, he was so comfortable, he didn't want to swing with them. He wanted to tell them about his six I mean, sadistic do you have fantasies. Like, <laughs> do you wear pineapples
0: like I don't. regularly? I don't even do eat you eat pineapples regularly. <laughs> do you have a pineapple sign
1: on the outside of your no. house or like <laughs> on the back of your <laughs> Right. The, when I learned that pineapples were that signifier, I was yeah. like, all of the decor I remember seeing when I was a child of like wood carved pineapples and pineapple macrame, I was shook. I was it's disturbed.
0: <laughs> it's one of those things that I find really interesting because pineapples is also something that is related to the uh, marijuana community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you gotta be, I mean, it could be like weed or
1: swingers, right? like one You're of no the two. Like, or maybe it's a combination of the both. I don't even yeah. know. But yeah, sometimes I de- just like fruit. Right? Maybe you just enjoy fucking pineapple. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's where I thought this story was going to take a turn. And I'm like, oh, who? Okay. Instead, he was just telling them about all the shit he wanted to do to people in a bad yeah. way. Oh, okay. God. So he showed, this is what she said in an interview. He'd come over every night for a while. And then one night, Stephen, which was her husband, uh, came in and he goes, he's got to go. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn, did he hit on the wife? It's like, no, no, no. Her husband told her that Rolling had told him he had a problem. And then she asked, like, what? He said, uh, he likes to stick knives into people. <laughs> so he admitted this to this man. And he told his wife... <laughs> That's not just, like, a weird quirk either. No. Like, that's a fucking problem. <laughs> you, know, you know what I love to do after a long week on a Friday? Just open a cold one and stick knives into people. You know what I mean? Uh, you, you know, know what you I mean? guy I'm gets it. Friday, am <laughs> I <remember> right? Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. So, um, Jurassic said that she initially dismissed the comments because it's like, yeah, maybe he's just trying to be impressive or something.
0: No. <laughs> no, honey, no. This is uh-uh. one of these red flags, and I'd just be like, get out. Yeah. Like, no. Out. I'm calling the cops on
1: you. I'm yeah. calling the cops on you. Um, and then she said that Rowling had also told her one day, I'm gonna leave this town and I'm gonna go where the girls are beautiful, and I could just lay in the sun and watch beautiful women all day. Oh, uh. <laughs> So okay, so Florida, yeah, Yeah. that's what I'm saying. So Florida. So she's like, these are connected. Oh my god! Um, Now, police were on the hunt for Rowling, and they were surprised to find him really quickly Um, because he was in jail. Oh, in Ocala, Florida. Okay, Uh, Rowling's had been arrested for robbing a Winn Dixie grocery store at gunpoint in September. So a few weeks after he was committing these murders. Allegedly. Uh, (laughs) Now, the robbery had been committed 10 days after the bodies of Powell's and Taboda were found. Rowling had been held in jail since that point. um, And where he was arrested was just 40 miles away from Gainesville. So relatively close. Uh, Police looked at Rowling's rap sheet and saw that he had a very, very, very long history of robbery. Uh, in fact, the kit he had used had been brought into evidence when he was nabbed after a car chase following the robbing of the Winn-Dixie. So he robbed the Winn-Dixie, they called the police, he got into a car chase, he crashed, they picked him up, and in the backseat of the car was his robbery kit. So in his robbery kit in evidence was a gun and a screwdriver. Now, back in Florida, they had found a campsite which had belonged to Rowling's, and there they also found some evidence, some cassette tapes, because this is 1990.
0: Don't tell me. Did he do the thing
1: that I always say not to do? In a way, he did the thing. Okay. We're going to listen to the thing that he did. Oh, Oh, God. God. Okay. So now the most interesting part of all of this was the cassette tapes, because Rowling's was an aspiring country singer.
0: Oh, no. Is this a Joe Exotic thing?
1: Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> the tapes were recordings of him singing some original country music songs. Why? With fascinating lyrics. Um, and the okay. song was titled Mystery Writer. So we're going to listen to a clip off of Oxygen's uh, piece on this, and you're going to get to hear him singing the lyrics. He doesn't bad voice and it does sound like an old country song um, but it's essentially a confession so we're (laughs) okay I listened to this um, I was listening to this while I was at work like typing and I just laughed out loud so but I was all alone in the office so it was just kind of like really creepy I'm like (laughs) all right so this is this is Danny Rowlings the uh, country music star so we go back and dig out all that evidence from the campsite. We found this tape, and it had no markings on it. We push play, and we hear this guy singing on there. As soon as the tape starts playing, I hear Danny
0: playing the guitar.
1: Okay. So if you didn't catch those lyrics. He said, "You're a you're a killer. You're a drifter gone insane. You're a rebel that no one can tame."
0: Oh my god. Honestly, and again, not a big fan of country personally, but I mean, not terrible. That's pretty country. It'd be less <laughs> terrible if it wasn't like a straight up
1: confession. It wasn't a fucking, fucking confession. confession like, like,
0: <laughs> what are you going to do? Which <laughs>
1: makes me wonder how many of those country music songs are accurate. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> Did Miranda Lambert, in fact, beat someone's car with a baseball oh. bat? We will never know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Now, on the tape, he also gives his full fucking name. (laughs) He's like, this is Danny, him, and Jim, Rollins, and I'm here to play you a sing song. (laughs) And, um, yeah. So, just, like, basically a diary. Basically a diary.
0: (laughs) Hi, my name is Danny Rollins, and I killed a bunch of people. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk.
1: And (laughs) good (laughs) night! Um, yeah, so, ugh. Wow. So that was, it was just... It got me. That got me so good. Um, <laughs> the tools that were also found, um, they kind of looked at them in terms of matching them up to some of the tool marks that had been left on the patio doors of the apartments that were broken into. Um, and they were a match. Okay. But also, like, it's a screwdriver, so, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of same screwdrivers out there.
0: Yeah. This is, we could put a uh, junk science wording
1: on this. Yeah. Probably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sure if I took a thousand Phillips heads and scratched them on this table, they would all kind of look the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um So they did that, that whole sciencey bit. Uh, and then they tested Rowling's blood, which came back as B, baby. Oh. Uh, so they're like, "We're all right. These are looking good. We got matching stuff. We got confession song. Like we got it all." Conf- <laughs> song. Oh my god! <laughs> so investigators were super confident that they had their man. And in November of 1991, Rowling was charged with several counts of murder. Now, around this time, Rowling became corresponding with someone uh, named Sandra London who would eventually become his fiancee Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't understand the jailhouse love thing. But I
1: don't either. I whatever. mean, I, I like a nice drifter, but not a murderous drifter. I know. Honestly, like, <laughs> the,
0: the best, most current examples of this that I can think of are Joe Exotic mm-hmm. and Stephen Avery. Mm-hmm. Like, and they had people, like contacting them about and I'm just I just don't get it I just don't get it
1: also not to mention the fact that there's not even anything like remotely appealing no not even like a hot murderer you remember that you remember that guy whose mugshot was going around during the oh yes like the hot
0: hot mugshot guy.
1: guy yeah yeah there, there's not even that. Like, so what? So what is the fascination? Is it maybe because you're, you're like, ooh, maybe he'll murder me? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and maybe, maybe it's just like,
0: well, I can be in a relationship with this person without actually having to like. Have any of the responsibilities of being That's in a relationship, you you right? You know what?
1: I'm just writing letters. They want to take it back to like Victorian times where it's just like wanting yeah. and
0: I don't ever have to see you, but we could be married. Yeah. That's cool. I'm down you stay with that. there, I'll stay here. Yeah. I still have my own time. You do whatever you want. Right? Do. Our, we
1: have an open relationship because you're in jail and I'm not. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh my God. Um yeah. So they got together, became fiance, and and she helped him put together a, a book called The Making of a Serial Killer. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is giving me very OJ vibes. Yes. Now, while he had decided to plead not guilty, he kind of used his roommate, uh, roommate, inmate, his roommate, (laughs) his roommate, (laughs) his roommate, roommate, um, Bobby Lewis, as his mouthpiece to confess to the murder. So he didn't want to like confess to them outwardly. So he confessed to his inmate, roommate, um, which then obviously they're going to tell. Yeah. So they can get something. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very weird roundabout. Way of confessing. I don't yeah. understand the well, whole premise and, of it, but whatever. And that definitely sounds like one of these like
0: weird codes of honor that like mm-hmm. somebody would have, where it's just like because you see that a lot when. Um, there's some question of sexuality in people who have killed and they're just like, but I'm not gay. Like mm-hmm. that, you know, even though very, very clearly that is the case or like, but well, I didn't, kill, like, I didn't kill
1: that guy like when it's very... Sexuality is a spectrum. You can yes. be like a touch gay. It's fine. Right. right.
0: <laughs> but I mean, I think that is like a thing where it's just like mm. some internal code of honor yeah. that they're just like, I'm not gonna... if I If I don't outwardly admit to it, then it will not be true.
1: Yeah, exactly. So... He was going through with the not guilty. And then it wasn't until February of 1994 when the trial was supposed to get started. And Rowling's, you know, was like, initially going to do not guilty. But then all of a sudden, he changed his plea. Rollings abruptly changed to a guilty plea. There was no real explanation as to why he changed his mind. I'm assuming maybe his fiancee at the time convinced him because they wrote that book. Right around this time, mm-hmm. um, so it's probably more or less like you know the evidence is stacked against you. Maybe you could get something from this aspect of it. Instead. Yeah. So um, to determine the sentence, jurors listened to testimony from his mother, who recounted the abuse the defendant had received at the hands of his father, um, and from a psychiatrist who described him as having an alternate personality. Um, kind of like a personality disorder where he would go into uh, a role of a man named Gemini when he killed. So kind of spinning this yarn of him having severe mental illness and a personality disorder. Gemini was the reason that he did his sadistic acts. Okay. Supposedly.
0: Um, And I could honestly, I could see that being part of the like, again, like not directly admitting to him committing these crimes, but Mm -hmm. being able to pin it on this, you know, Extra personality. I'm not saying that he, it's possible that he did have like a multiple personality thing, right? But like mm-hmm. it again seems more of a cop-out to being like, well, at least I didn't have to admit to this because Gemini did these things. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and then after all of this, he claimed that his real motive was to become a superstar, similar to Ted Bundy. Okay. <laughs> Which is where I think the impetus for Scream came from because they wanted to be famous. Yeah. So I think that's really where the you know, inspiration was coming from, (laughs) for Scream from this particular case. Yeah, Um, Two other psychiatrists also testified that um, there was a severe personality disorder in play, but stated that their belief that Rawlings actually understood the magnitude of his crimes. So he might have borderline personality disorder, but he still had a clear understanding of what right and wrong was okay now the jury unanimously found roland guilty of first-degree murder on all five counts in late march um, and then on april 20th 1994 he was sentenced to death after exhausting all of his appeals he was on his way to execution now shortly before the set date he confessed to the shreveport murders as well okay um Rolling's last meal was given to him containing a uh, lobster tail, butterfly shrimp, a baked potato, strawberry cheesecake, and sweet tea. Um, so he got to have the full the full Monty. Um, he was executed on october twenty fifth, two thousand and six. Wow, I was graduating from high school. <laughs> I was sixteen. Yikes. Um, in his final moments, he regaled the forty seven people crammed into the witness room with one of his songs. A religious hymn with the refrain, none greater than thee, O oh Lord, none greater than thee. Okay. And his microphone was then cut. Oh, my God. And that is the story of the Gainesville Ripper.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because it's not it is not a direct like one to one with the movie screen. But oh, like no. it not definitely, like you said, like. Wanting to be famous for the crimes. Mm -hmm. I think this idea of, like, a college town kind of
1: setting. Yeah.
0: The taping was definitely
1: a big thing. Yeah. They did that with the very first murder and scream. They taped the boyfriend to the chair out in the Mm -hmm. middle of the field. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the posing. Yeah. So there's some similarities, but... Not direct, yeah. yeah.
0: Of course, Scream always makes me think of scary movie. Yeah,
1: definitely. <laughs> Which I saw some
0: clip from that for something. I don't remember <laughs> what it was. Um, but but I was like, <laughs> I kind of want to go back and watch that scary movie. the yeah, it first not really one. um
1: doesn't really hold up. <laughs> no, it does
0: not. And there are
1: definitely a lot of things in there. It's like but they're not okay. Oh, same the thing. We, like, we went back and watched Ace Ventura. I was like, that does not hold up. Not even close. Not even the second one. None of them hold up. No. Everything Jim Carrey did was not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just retired. He's or er, announced he's retiring. Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good for him. <laughs> yeah, he's going out
0: on a high with Sonic too. So
1: <laughs> anyway, <Isn't I? laughs>
0: actually, Sonic was. Very good. Okay. Well, I'll color me fucking surprised. I yeah. know. After they changed the eyes. Anyway, after this is. The
1: sunshine of the <coughs> turtle spotless, whatever the fuck that was called. i was yeah. like, I'm done with Jim Carrey. This is
0: this a is very, very odd. Uh, he also just, yeah. okay, just to say this, he also just um did uh, the New Weekend album. He was on the New Weekend album. So it's really? very good. If you I'm, like The I'm Weekend, confused. I fucking love The Weekend, but Jim Carrey did part of the album with him. Anyway. All right. It's a whole thing. It's I'll tell you about it on Mike. Yeah, I'll tell you about
1: <laughs> it on Mike.
0: So, if instead of watching one of these movies, you're looking for something else to do, why don't you check out this podcast?
1: We're the Vocal Fries. I'm Carrie. And I'm Megan. And we have a podcast about linguistic discrimination. We talk about language, not being a jerk, not judging people for the way that they speak, and we try to have a good time. We talk about things like vocal fry, swearing, (laughs) Southern American English, and prescriptive grammar. You can find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.
0: That has been our show for this week. Um, sure has. Sure <laughs> has. Yeah, it was a fun one. Cruisome, we <laughs> we have some stuff coming up that we will announce soon. We're mm-hmm. just not quite ready there yet. Keep an eye on our social media. But we do have some stuff planned for later in the year. Hey.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> uh, do we have anything
1: else? No, no. Just stay tuned. We might have a few yes. things to do other yes. than that just stay here
0: just stay here with you stay alive our yeah uh, <laughs> uh, 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 uh. staying alive staying alive <laughs> barely barely
1: <laughs> uh okay <laughs> well um this
0: has been a podcast <laughs> this has been a podcast yeah on that note our sound and editing is by tiff Fullman. our music is by jason Zakschewski, the enigma this has been the bad taste crime podcast we will see you in two weeks goodbye Bye.
1: As if a wave of evil washed over this town.